We're going to take a journey. And it's literally going to take us from Genesis all the way through. It's, it's going to be an interesting one, okay? Now, y'all know, anyone who, who has been here more than one Sunday knows, we pretty much don't get away from, from Genesis a lot. Uh, that's because my, it's my favorite three chapters in scriptures, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Those, I was just, I was having actually a conversation on a night of prayer and uh, just sharing that part, and I found a fellow soul that actually enjoys that as well. I think a lot of us view the first few chapters of Genesis just as like a nice story time. Like, it's like, it's story time with God, and look, everything got created by him, and that's kind of where we leave it. But I have come to find that the bulk, if not all, of our beliefs and everything really can be found right there in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And then the rest is all the fulfillment of, of all of that. And if you want to challenge me on that and you got time, I will do my very best afterwards uh, to, to explain to you. So I want to encourage you to take some notes of some of these scriptures that I'm going to be reading to you. I want to encourage you that if you do have questions to ask, I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm not God's gift to man as much as my wife thinks so. Uh, that's a joke because she doesn't. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't have all the answers, but I'll do my best uh, for the clarity that I feel that the Spirit has given to me uh, to try to impart that to you so you can grow on with that. So let me give you a quick recap of the last three weeks. I can do this in just a few sentences, and then we can bring in. This is so weird. I feel like I'm like, I can't see you guys. Uh, sometimes my ideas in my head look way better, and then I get it in here, I'm like... No, it didn't work, but this works. So. <laughs> but let's recap the last three weeks really quickly to kind of jostle our memory and to catch some of us up that weren't here um, so we can dive into this. Okay, week one, we called it You Don't Know Spirit. And what we found out was the word spirit for us is so convoluted. It, it means so many different things. Like, think about it right now. If you, if you were to go watch a movie and they were saying, there's a spirit, all of you guys just went to like a ghost like, or something, like, you know, y'all thought, thought Amityville Horror, like, you know, the rocking chair, the old one rocks on its own, right? Isn't that the original one? Yeah. And, like, you can see the string, them pulling it. No, y'all never watched horror movies at all? I stopped because I have a vivid imagination, and I'm 31 years old, uh, and uh, I, I will have nightmares if I watch anything like that, so I do not anymore. <laughs> I found that out. Uh, but, <laughs> but with this, we talked about how when we say the word spirit, we just we don't even know what we're talking about. We just throw it around so willy-nilly and just everywhere. And so we looked at the word spirit in the New and the Old Testament. The word in the Old Testament is the word ruach, and it means breath. It means life. It means the very vitality, the thing itself. That is what spirit is. So when you see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth is without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, it literally means the breath, the life, the very vitality of who he is moved upon the face of the water. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Evening and the morning were the first day. Now, then we looked in the, in the New Testament, there's a word for the word spirit that is used. And that is the word pneuma, which is where we get our word pneumonia from. And it is the Greek word for the word spirit. And guess what it means? Class breath, life. It means the exact same thing, just a different language for it. So it has this understanding of very different than what we thought when we said spirit. Because, and again, I'm not 
picking on who, who was kind of raised and born Pentecostal-ish. And I say ish because my dad used to say we were Baptist Pentecostal because we... I was not, but he was. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think, unfortunately, while I, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, uh, in this, but unfortunately, sometimes in our charismatic thing, we've, we've relegated the Spirit of God down to that feel-good dad that you kind of get down your back and that crying or that this. And while those things can be evidence of the Spirit of God moving, it is not the Spirit of God itself. C.S. Lewis uh, gave us a great example of this. He wasn't referring to the Spirit of God, but I, I like to use it for that. And he said, if I held a sheet of paper, for instance, this one right here, and let's imagine that this has music written on it. I don't know how to read music, so I couldn't write music on here if I wanted to. But if you guys could imagine, this is all the lines of music. Y'all ever seen lines of music? Okay, yeah. And everybody says, look, there's music. It's not music. That's the expression of music on a piece of paper. But it is not the music itself. And I don't want us to ever get convoluted to think when we see those types of experiences happen here in a, in a, in a session or somewhere, that that is the Spirit of God. That is the expression of the Spirit of God that is already dwelling within you. I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself and I'm already getting excited. And I hadn't even really started yet. But when we view it that way and we think that is the Spirit, we've done something really, really horrendous. We have now taken the Spirit of God, removed it from us, and stuck it in a building and said, that's where it stays. Which is actually completely negating everything Christ came to said that he came to do. That actually is even completely negating what God said he was doing in Genesis and throughout the rest of the Old Testament. If you guys don't believe me, I can show you that. I don't have time to go into it right now. So this is knowing Spirit. Now, week two, week two... Y'all remember what week two was? All right, we're starting over. We're, all right, everybody get remember. <laughs> Thank you. God is the Spirit. So now we discovered who the Spirit was. Kim was like, he's serious. We'll, we'll have to be here all day now. <laughs> who is the Spirit? So then we, we understood what it was, but then it was like, now, who is it? And again, I'm not going to get all kinds of different doctrines of how this works or not, but the Spirit of God is not separate from him. It is God. It is him. And we used flatland, if y'all remember this example. And it was like as if you were a two-dimensional being, like you didn't know up and down. You only knew left, right, forward, and backwards. And then there was a, a three-dimensional being, not unlike these apples here, actually. Oh, I could have totally done it, man. But if I had a piece of paper, and if you could imagine that you were a, a two-dimensional being, like you didn't know up and down, you didn't even know what that was. Like if someone came to you and said up and down, you'd be like, what? Because all you know is I can move forward, I can move backwards, I can move left, I can move right. And then there's a being that's beyond you, like this apple that is three-dimension, and the apple wants to come and tell you something. Now, y'all ever seen the bottom of an apple, right? So it's got like all these different little things on it. If I was to stick this in ink and say, the apple is now going to enter flatland, if we can, what would be left? It'd just be like five, one, two, three, four, five little dots on the piece of paper. And all those in flatland, like us, would be looking and saying, oh, do you see those five little dots moving around? No, I'm not, but real quick, not talking about UFOs. Okay, let's just leave that alone, please. Okay, but we in flatland would be looking and saying, oh, look, I, I see these these five little dots, and there's God. And I imagine if God was anything, I mean, we are made in his image and likeness, so maybe we can understand just a, a fraction, maybe a half of a half of a percent here of who he is. I imagine he'd get a little frustrated with that <laughs> and say, no, 
Like you got, you got this part. Moses got that. God mooned Moses. He said, Moses said, hey, I want to see you. And he said, no, I'll show you my backside. So God mooned Moses. That's how I got away with mooning people at kids camp anyways. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a true story. I'll tell you later. Uh, <laughs> so he says, no, no, no. So then what God does is, God's the apple, by the way. And, and he goes, I'm going to take Mr. or Mrs. Flat, and I'm going to bring them into my dimension. I'm going to show them up and down. I'm going to show them the rest of it. So we explain to people what they just experienced, what up and down is. This is commonly referred to as prophecy, by the way, is when God takes somebody and shows them things that otherwise they wouldn't have known because he's like, I need you to understand more of who I am because he is the Spirit. Now, week three was full of Spirit full of it. And really what we honed in on this was two core ideas. Number one is a lot of us have the spirit, but the spirit doesn't have us. It's kind of like, well, I'll leave that example alone. We'll keep going here. It's kind of the difference between I possess something and that something possesses me. So for instance, I do not have a wife. My wife has a husband. All y'all are like, do not use that example because my wife's going to go home or my husband's going to go home. No, I do not possess her. She possesses me. Now, yes, you could make the argument of vice versa. But when you start to view it that way, you start to do things differently. And a lot of us walk around with, you know, old church used to call it God in a box. But I like to think of it more like God in an aerosol can. And we have tried to compress him down and say, all right, it's Sunday. <sighs> smells good. And we've tried to compress it down because we want to contain and control it versus the other way around where he completely compresses us. Scripture says crucifying yourself daily. Scripture says dying to yourself daily. Scripture says till there is nothing left of us. John 3.30 is our core scripture. He must increase and we must decrease. That is what it means to be full of the spirit of God. Now, there are things, remember, we've talked about this in all these weeks. I have to give you all this before I can give it. I know y'all are like, is he still recapping? Yeah, but then you won't get it. And then you're just going to walk out of here and be like, wasn't that fun? Jared put some apples on the tree today. And if you walk away with that, no. Because the other thing we understood is after you were full of the Spirit, you get the Spirit of God at the point of salvation. We won't go into all that we did in prior weeks. But to be full of the Spirit... Then we see something produced in our life called the fruit of the Spirit, which is what we're going to hone in on today. And then after the fruit of the Spirit, you see something else called the gift of the Spirit. And we've really honed in on this quite a bit, is a lot of us want to be over here, and we want to skip the part of being full of the Spirit. We want to skip the part of having the fruit of the Spirit, and we just want to jump to the power of it itself. We just want to have the expression of it. And we're going to read some stuff on that that's going to hit us pretty hard, I think, because it hit me pretty hard. Um, and y'all, unless y'all are way holier than me, like I said, it's going to hit you pretty heavy too. And I don't want it to be something that feels condemning, okay? I, I heard somebody say it this way, so I have to give them credit this time, but next week I don't, um, because then it'll be like I said. Uh, but here's how I heard them say it. Condemnation doesn't renew, but conviction renews you. 
When it's condemnation, it will ridicule you, it will, it will bring you down, it will tear you down when it's condemnation. But when it's conviction of the Spirit of God within you, it will renew you. It doesn't mean it's going to feel great, but it will renew you. It will rebuild you. It will shift and change you. And like I said, the process is not always that great. But by the end of it, there's this interesting tension between this freedom and liberty and love. But at the same time, it's like, ow, I got to change some things. That's how we'll know whether or not it's man bringing it or the spirit of God bringing it to us. Now, the last thing that we talked about and we kind of ended on this, that was like our cliffhanger from last week. And we're going to pick right up here now, now that all your minds have stopped thinking about all the coffee, more coffee you wish you would have had and everything else. The last thing is, how do we produce this fruit when, when we are filled with spirit? How do we even get filled with spirit? Like, how does this happen? And David gives it to us beautifully in Psalms chapter one. And it starts with the whole chapter, the whole thing. Psalms chapter one, verse one starts with, blesses the man. No one knows it, okay. <laughs> that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. For he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit and his season. His leaves also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, before y'all go emoji sign with dollar signs on it and all that whatnot, that is not what the word prosper means right there. The word prosper means to have success in. But what are you having success in? Reverse it backwards and you can understand that. That success in is the spirit of God because you are like a tree planted by the rivers of living water and then you will bring forth fruit. So we always want to, again, jump to the end and the journey is much more important than the end result. So we're going to talk about how we are like a tree. Some of us wish we were this slender. <laughs> but we are going to be like a tree, planted. Now, y'all know I like to build rivers. And unfortunately, my wife said I could not build a river beside this tree. But if you can imagine a river flowing beside it. You know, I've learned something about trees. I've never planted trees really in my life. I've cut them down with chainsaws, but I've never really had to plant them. And I've noticed over the last several weeks, and I love how God does this because it wasn't even a part of the, the message. Like I, I knew kind of where we were going, but I had no clue. Like God was like, yeah, I'm going to have you plant some trees uh, and everything because it's going to show you what I'm talking about. Because I, I learned something with planting all these. Now, we had some trees shipped to us uh, in a box, which is odd in my opinion, but they still lived somehow. And they shipped them to us, and we planted them. And I knew, like, oh, you got to water plants like a bunch, you know, beforehand, you know. Like, okay, cool, got it. So we watered them every day. I'm like, yeah, it's supposed to rain, so we didn't water them. And guess what? It's Texas, and it didn't rain. Uh, and the next day, I was like, no, it's going to pour. And guess what? didn't rain. And then Friday came, and it rained. And Junior, him and his family were here yesterday, and they were planting some, some of the, the, the rest of them. And and, and I'd been looking at them and noticing, like, oh, that one just doesn't look like it's growing all that well. And, you know, and I told this last week, these over here, because our water hose doesn't reach, they were getting the least amount of water because there's a little more effort to do it. And Junior comes to me and says, Jared, we're really going to have to water these plants a little bit more because otherwise they're just going to die because at the minimum they need. And he began to give me instruction. I hope you're seeing this in the spirit because I didn't know how to grow it by myself. I thought I did. I planted it. It looked pretty for a minute. And then it started to die. And I needed someone that could share with me some wisdom on 
Get a five-gallon bucket if you can't get to those and do the work and haul it there to get water. Because when you move a plant too much, it goes into shock. And guess what it does? It dies. Because while this can live here for a moment, I don't care how much water you give it, how much you put in the sunlight, it will not survive in that container forever. It gets stunted growth. I hope you're hearing this in the spirit. It gets stunted. It can't do anything else. And the things that it was producing begin to fall off because it needs to be planted. I heard another guy say this, and I loved it this way. Some of you guys are feeling like life is getting you down and bearing on you and everything like that, and you think you're just buried in it. Whoever feels like that, just buried in it. Sometimes you need to think you're not buried, you're planted. Because through the pressure of being planted and through all that, that's where things begin to grow. And scripture right there in Psalm chapter one gives us the key. Where will you be planted? By the rivers of living water. That is representative of the spirit of God. The spirit of God is referred to as water throughout all of scripture. Okay, that should get our minds just a twirling right now. I'm going to do my very best, guys. Can you stay with me for a little bit? We're going to go a little bit. You know, usually we're done about uh, 12. We're going to go slightly over 12. I just already know that because I just saw the clock. But y'all cool with that, right? Okay. We're not clock-eyed people here, okay? Now, we talked about this in one of our subsessions throughout the week, but John chapter 17, this is Jesus speaking. In John chapter 17, it opens in verse 1 with Jesus saying, Father, it is now time to glorify your son as as I have glorified you. Now is the time. Everybody say, "Now now is the time. And he says... This is my prayer. I'm kind of paraphrasing this for you, but I, this one, this chapter, you can go read on your own. We've been focusing on this for three weeks. We've talked about John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. Okay, so I'm paraphrasing it for you here. But he says, this is my prayer. Now this is eternal life. Here's the definition that Jesus gives. He says, now this is eternal life. That they, being all of us and all the world, that they may know you. As the one true God and Christ whom you have sent. This is what Jesus says eternal life is. He says just to know God. And how that happens, we read all this in the Acts chapter 2 and all this great kind of stuff, is that the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ itself is now living within us. So he says this is eternal life. This is the water and the river is to know God. This is where your fruit can begin to flourish is when you know God. Now I'd like to use an example, Dale, if you do not mind. Do you mind? A lot of us know about God. And there's a vast difference in knowing about something or someone and knowing it. My example here is this, this gentleman over here, his name is Dale. I got a call from him. And he said, hey, is this, uh, you know, Empowering Word Church and whatever like that? And we start talking. I'm like, well, I'm not Dwayne Thompson. I'm his son. And we got to chit-chatting. Come to find out, he's known my family longer than I've even been alive probably. And he knew me when I was really little. I don't, I don't remember him because I was like two years old maybe, you know. When, literally when this church was founded in my great-grandmother's living room, he was there ministering and everything like that. So I knew about Dale. And I still only know about him because we've talked on the phone twice and I've met him this morning right before service and y'all know my spastic brain. So I'm like, hey, how are you? And my brain's going, I need nothing. But now my grandmother over here, she knows Dale quite more than I do. 
because he lived there with them for, for months and he ministered with them and they did things together. So she would know him much more than I do. Now there's a gentleman sitting beside him that happens to be his brother. Guess what? I guarantee you knows him better than any of us. And sorry, I just, I just pick on people. It's just, <laughs> they're not from Texas, so they, they can't get mad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this is what it's like to know about God and to know God. And a lot of us just know a lot about him. We've heard his name. We say things about it. We know how he may do things and this and that and the other. But because we don't actually know him, we have no clue what his heart and his desire is. So then we run around wondering what his will, plan, and purpose for our lives is and other people's lives. And then we don't know which one is actually God and which one is just people saying it's God. We get confused because this person said, said, God said this. And then the other person said, God said, no, not that, the opposite. And we're like, is God split personality? What is going on here? And it's all because we don't know him. We know about him. And Christ shows us and he says, this is the river. This is where you plant yourself is to know him. Now the manners in which we know him come and the ways that we can know him come through studying of scripture, comes through prayer. Prayer is the primary thing. Guys, I will go to my grave saying this. That's why it's written right there. We're getting big giant letters, by the way. They're going to go. It says house of prayer, not a house of great music, not a house of great teaching, but it's a house of of prayer because prayer is our connection peace to God. That is the conversation with God. That is where his spirit that is within you when you get planted in that and in his presence, he begins to reveal things to you. He begins to shift and change to where, why? You can bear some fruit of it. This is the water. This is the entire reason that you have the spirit of God is to plant yourself in that, to know him. Now we're about to get to a point but some of us are going to say, ha ha, I get to judge people now. Y'all are about to hear it. But we're going to keep reading where no one keeps reading. We're going to read where no man has read before. <laughs> so when I read this, I want you to hear this clearly. Okay? So this is where we're planted. And just real quick, I do have to say this before I read it. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I went back and looked at my notes. I was like, no, there's a gap that I left out that I think I need to say. And I don't know why I keep picking on my own upbringing because there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but I am going to pick on it. Before you jump to being filled with the Spirit, is just speaking in tongues. That is not, that is a small evidence. And that is not even necessarily the first evidence. I read that to you, and three, three weeks ago, I read multiple scriptures that showed filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and you never see anything about tongues in it. Now, I'm not negating tongues and their reality. If you want to have an argument about that or a discussion about that or both, we can do that. However, it is not the first evidence. You know what the first evidence is? Fruit. Now, if you want me to prove it, I will. Don't worry. Because it's all throughout the Gospels and the Old Testament is fruit. This is the first evidence. Not a physical apple. Everybody does understand. By the way, real quick, this is all metaphorical. Okay. No one, yeah. No one go and like, we are a tree and like, there's the tree church and like walking around like, you want to taste my fruit? No. Like, don't be crazy. Okay. This is the first evidence that the spirit of God dwells in you is the fruit of it. Now we must read the fruit of it. Now, Matthew 7, just real quick, says you will know them by their fruits. This is where we get, let's just read it, can we? Let's just do it. We're going to. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to now. Y'all all agreed that we were going to go a little longer, so it's cool. <laughs> we're going to go to John chapter 7. Um, I'll kind of 
started off in verse 15 there, and we're going to read down to, to verse uh, 23. John 7. Oh, sorry, Matthew 7. Sorry, Matthew 7. I was getting ahead of myself because I'm so excited. All right, so let's read John 7. Uh. We're going to go to Matthew or John 7 in a minute. Matthew 7. We're going to start in verse 14. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. And few there be that find it. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come among you in sheep's clothing, but inward are ravening wolves. Verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Verse 17. And even so very good trees bring forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. Verse 18. And a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that not brings forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Verse 20. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but in that day comes and the will of my Father which is in heaven is sent them. Verse 22. Many will come to me that day and say, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? Um, have we not done many wonderful works? And verse 23 wraps it up in a, just a gut-wrenching statement right here. And I'm going to say and profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that works iniquity. Now, I'm going to define a little bit of this real quick because what some of you heard, what some of you heard was everybody's going to hell because it's narrow. So, you know, it's like a 20% pass rate, like two out of 10 making it, the rest of you, you're gone. And then everybody be wary because there's all these false prophets and they're going to tell you all this bad, evil stuff and, and everything like that. And, and you'll know them by your fruit. So look, I get to judge you. And we pass that off as that, by the way. And then what you heard right there at the end where it says, you know, in the, right there in the middle, he kind of does a, a duality of a statement. He says, hey, can a bad tree bring forth bad fruit? Yes. But can that bad tree bring forth good fruit? No. But a good fruit, you know, good tree brings forth good fruit? Yes. But can that good tree bring forth bad fruit? No. So he's like kind of putting it all different ways to make sure you get it, that the two cannot be the same. They are separate and different. So if we see bad fruit, no. If we see good fruit, yes. And then he ends it with this right here, showing us what we've been talking about, how we all want to jump to the power at the end. You know, y'all ever, you know, Holy Ghost helicopter power, like, hey, power. And we want to run around in the power of God. But that tells you right there, it says, there will be a time that people run around and say, did we not profess power in your name? Even in the name itself. It's not even obscured in like something else. And it's saying, we did all these wonderful works and we prophesied, we did all these things. And then it says this, but I didn't know you. Further showing us the knowledge of God is the most important thing to know. And that is the good 
fruit because when you know him, he will begin to shift and change and do, do completely different things within your life. Now, if you want to keep reading, which we're not going to, it clarifies for you about the knowing them by their fruits and the judging them portion of it. I just won't go into it right this second uh, because it will not further us in our endeavors this morning. So this is not a license, by the way, because Jesus tells us what? Hey, he says, hey, before you go running around trying to take splinters and toothpicks out of people's eyes, do what? Remove the two before that is sticking out of the side of your head. Okay? So Jesus clarifies it for us right there. Now, let's continue on here, okay? We've talked a lot about this fruit, this thing that needs to be produced in our lives. Let's define it real quick. Can we do that? We're just going to define it, and then we're going to look at a couple other things in Scripture. That is the really fun part, okay? Let's go to Galatians. And we're going to go to chapter 5. This is commonly known as the, the fruit of the Spirit chapter. But before you read the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22, we need to back up to verse 16 at a minimum. I would recommend starting just, you know, in Genesis and read the whole thing. But, you know, we'll, we'll start just slightly before this. This is Paul writing to the church at Galatia called the Galatians. And he's writing about this thing called, we even call fruit. What do we call fruit? Produce, because it is the end product of something, okay? So, before we get to the fruit of the Spirit, if there is a fruit of the Spirit, there must be a fruit of the reverse. Let's see, who has been paying attention in class over the last two years? What is the reverse of the Spirit? The flesh, the natural, okay? Okay, so if there is a fruit of Spirit that is of God and all of that, there must also be something that can be produced in your life that is natural. That's what this scripture is showing us. Paul lays it out pretty, pretty brutal for us. Paul was kind of savage with the way he dealt with people. Um, you know, it probably had, he was savage before he met God, uh, and then he met God and just kind of became a good savage. Uh. <laughs> so let's read Galatians 5, 16. Then I say, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's break that down real quick. Walk in spirit. The word walk means to be occupied or to be employed by, okay? So I have a job. I'm employed by. When I am employed by that and I show up to that job, I must do whatever my boss so says to do. If you didn't know that, that is what you're supposed to do. It doesn't matter what your job title is. Just do whatever your boss says because that's my job. I'm employed by him. And because of that, I get the fruits of my labor, which is a paycheck, Okay? So be employed by the very spirit itself. Be occupied by that thing. That's why we're called the temple of God, the house. What do we say? We occupy a house. So it says, occupy yourself with this thing. Be rooted in this thing. Be planted by this thing. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word lust just means desire. When you desire God, it is impossible to also desire the things of the flesh. Okay? impossible. Because if you're employed by one thing, you cannot be employed by the other, right? Who's ever worked two jobs? Two part-times. Okay, cool. That's rough. Who's ever tried to work full, two full-time jobs? That's like next to impossible. And really at the end of the day, when you're doing it, you can't give them both everything. Jesus said this way, a man can't serve two masters. You love one, hate the other. It doesn't work because it tears you apart. And that's what we see happening. Now, I do have to say this, and I can't turn away and not face anybody and say this with my eyes closed here. But uh, if we ever see someone that is 
professing God in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but we see the opposite of that when we read this. That is an identifier. That does not mean it is your place to judge. I'm about to read that to you. That just means an identifier that we should do something. Scripture tells us what to do, and it's not what you want to do. I can guarantee you that. So the lust of the flesh just means the desires of the natural, the things that naturally would want, you would want to do. Verse 17, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. See, now, here's real quick. If the word lust was inherently bad in Scripture, okay, it wouldn't have said the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh because it's using the same word twice. That would mean that the spirit lusts. And that just sounds odd, doesn't it? That's because the word lust right here, just right here, only means a desire. So the flesh desires things against the spirit and the spirit desires things that are against the flesh, showing you these two things are, are enemies of each other. They, they don't coexist very well at all. They are contrary to one another so that they cannot do things that you would do. Verse 18, but be led of the spirit. You are not under the law, verse, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest in these. Now, here's where we're going to get some really nice old school preaching. I think I have to read it that way too. And the works of the flesh are made manifest by adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness. We don't use that word anymore. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variances, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murder, and drunkenness revelings, and such alike. Now, we read all that. Half of those words we don't even use anymore, so we just make them all mean the same thing, and we just say, evil! It's the devil, Bobby. Like, we just don't even know what it's talking about. And we really like to just hone in. But we really like to do this. Adultery, fornication, skip, 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 witchcraft, skip, 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 heresies, skip, 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 drunkenness, and we just like to skip over. This, this is not a list of sins real quick, by the way. It is a list of the end result of sin. It is a list of the end result of sin. The word sin has one meaning throughout all of text, Old Testament, New Testament. It means to not have a share in. It means you have missed the mark. What mark? The mark that God had for you, the thing he wanted you planted by the spirit of God that is within you so you can produce fruit. That's what you are missing the mark of. And it says when that happens, here made manifest is a really fancy way of here's that kind of fruit. Here's what becomes evident in our lives whenever we are walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. When we plant our tree somewhere else and not where God said to plant your tree because different fruit will grow. Now, again, before we're going and saying, oh, well, good, I got, I'm an 80% pass on this thing. This is not an exhaustive list, okay? This is an example. That's why he ends it with, and such a like. You notice every single one of these things. Every single one of these things. I was looking at Steph because Steph and I had this conversation. I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to say it. Every single one of these things has a root. That root is in the natural, and that root is in the natural selfishness of things. Every single one of them. And isn't it fun? We, everything in our lives is about self. We even created a whole new type of picture called a selfie. Now, I'm not preaching against selfies. I was going to have a selfie stick the whole time I was teaching. 
We're going live on Facebook right now. No, but that, that's, that's what it is. Again, this is not so you can go badger people or badger yourself. This is so you can look and say, well, I see these things. This is how I know I need more spirit. So when I look at a situation in my job and I'm about to respond with, oh, guess what? You know, one of those things in there was envying and the other thing was hatred. Crap. Because when I look in my job and I begin to see that is how I'm responding to something or about to respond to something, that is meant to show that's the fruit that's starting to grow. You better identify it now. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. This is when you go and you say, all right, God, I need more of your spirit right here. Y'all want to think, I don't even know why I'm going all up. I'm going to try to hurry, but y'all got to get this spirit, okay? We want to run around and say, I'm full of the spirit. And now every aspect of my life is now under control. And it's fine. God loves me as I am. Yes. But then he says, we're going to move you and plant you differently. To where we can do something called grafting. That's what we're going to talk about real quick. Now, it keeps going on here. After it says that, it says, these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Real quick, was the word kingdom in the Greek? It's the word basileia, and it means the way a king does things. So you cannot inherit the way God does things. If your fruit is producing this, you must plant your tree by the rivers of living water so you can bring forth good fruit in good season. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. So now he says, now check it out. Here is your other way to look at this. If you're seeing that, check it. If you're seeing this, this is how you know it is the Spirit of God that is growing within you. That's how you know you got a nice, juicy apple. I don't actually even like apples. I realized that when I bit into it. <laughs> I was like, nope. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You know, I love my dad's definition of long-suffering, meaning you will suffer long. Just deal with it. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Meaning in the Old Testament law, because that's what, that's what they were dealing with, you know. He said, there's no law against these things. It's not something that is against or wrong or, or somehow crazily different. This is the thing that you know the Spirit of God is dwelling in you and you are becoming full of it. And this thing is not just generally speaking, just don't shine the light in that corner. It's I gotta look at every aspect of my life, every relationship of my life. I gotta look at everything I do in my life. I've gotta look at it and say, how am I bringing forth that fruit? Now, verse 24, and they that are Christ's, have crucified the flesh and the affections and the lust of the flesh, mean, flesh, meaning the desires and the things that you want in the flesh, you've, you've just, it's done with. And verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Verse 26, and let us not be uh, desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying one another. Okay? This is where we're saying, hey, if you've got this thing, you're Christ and you've killed off the flesh part. You've cut that branch. It's done. It's gone. Now, that, does, that doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle with that cutting off, and that cutting off is not hard sometimes. But he says, no, listen, all that's done, gone away with if we're in Christ. And then he says it right here. He said, so if we live in the Spirit, live, breathe in the Spirit, then let us be occupied and walk after that thing. And let us not be provoking. Let us not be all of the things in which 
the world is today. And now here's where you learn how to deal with when you recognize the fruit. Real quick, can I read that? And then I just got like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 10 more verses. Just got three more, don't worry. Because we always like to stop right there, see? The lust of the flesh. Don't do these things, Bobby. And then, you get, and then we, we go down that part and we just stop reading. And we say, so, Steph, you're a rebel. You sang that song on Sunday at the lip sync battle and that was rock and roll. Now, I'm being facetious, and I know we none of us think that, but we do the same thing with something else, and we want to stop there. But here's how it says to handle it. Paul's pretty smart. Chapter 6, verse 1, if you want to keep reading. Brethren, and if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such in the spirit of meekness, Considering thyself, unless you be tempted, to bear one another's burdens so you can fulfill the law of Christ. And I love this verse right here. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, you're lying to yourself. Can I just give that to you in the International Jared version real quick? When you see a man, now I've heard people want to twist this scripture out of context and say, well, it's within the church. It doesn't say fellow believer, and they actually do sometimes. They say, when you see a believer, when you see it, it says a man, anybody that is overtaken in fault, meaning they are just, they can't help themselves but trip over their own feet. They're just falling constantly. It doesn't say reprimand them. It doesn't say anything. It says to what? Go to them. But, but what's, if you're spiritual, not meaning, woo, I float on clouds spiritual. Meaning if I breathe, live, and I have that fruit, I must give them that fruit. I must restore them in that spirit. I must be kind and meek and show them. That's how you're supposed to deal with it. And guess what? This is the exact opposite of how you want to deal with it. Okay, got quiet. I'm going to leave that alone. Now. I want to dive into this idea. I'm, I'm going to give you these scriptures real quick. I may read one of them, but it's John chapter 15. We've already been reading this, but I'm going to refer back to this in John chapter 15, the entire chapter, John chapter 15. And then Romans 11, 11 through uh, 31. Romans 11 through verse 11 and 31. And like I said, I may, I may read them, but I just want to give them to you just in case I get a little riled up right now. Let's dive in real quick. About 10 minutes, I'll be, I'll be just close to done. No. <laughs> if this is you, you're a tree. You must bear fruit. You must be planted. We've already seen that you can bear different types of fruit. We have some fruit on this tree. And no, it did not come with those apples on the tree. Scripture tells us to taste and see the Lord is good. What a lot of us, when we get to develop some fruit and God's been working on us a little bit, we are so proud of our fruit. It's so pretty. Isn't it pretty? I worked so hard to, to, to get that part together and look at that fruit. It's beautiful. There's not a spot or a blemish on it because it is the fruit of the Spirit. 
And so because of that, we really don't want people to sample it. Now, what I mean by sample it is, y'all ever heard, it's easy to love someone that's lovable. You're know, like, yeah, and you talk too long, so it ain't easy to love you right now. <laughs> but we, we look and we say, no, 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 I don't touch. Uh, just real quick, uh, Caleb, just come here real quick. Caleb, Caleb needs to sample my fruit and see some of the spirit of God within me in my life. And, and he comes and just begin to get ready to pick it off of there. So, no, no. <laughs> That's why I did it to Caleb, because I can do that to him. <laughs> right, Steph? He needed a good little slapping real quick, right? But they go to say, I need, I need the sample. And we say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's my tree of the spirit. Go get your own. You can go sit down now. And that's what we do. We block people. This exemplifies itself by keeping people at a distance. Because sometimes we're afraid if we let them get too close, they're going to take our prized possession. And God says, no, generously give it. That love, that peace, generously give it because I can, I can produce more in you. But the reason is because we value it as precious and they get close. We don't know how real our fruit is just yet. Now, I'm just going to say how I feel it. Is that okay? Okay. We live in an age where everything needs to be postable. Just like when I posted this tree, guess what? I didn't leave it sitting out, hanging out the bed of my truck and like, you know, all the apples on the ground and take a picture and be like, come Sunday. People are like, are we gardening? What is happening? No, we get it looking pretty. We get it looking right. And the modern church has shifted so much to say, let's be worried more about reputation than relationship that then we've actually created some fake fruit just so it posts well. And then when people come and they get it and they say, oh, let me have a bite of that fruit. They go. It's fake. It's just. God, that's just nasty. <laughs> and that's what happens. Because it looks good. But it's not the real deal. Because when you get close to the real deal, y'all notice, don't these just look just pristine? I mean, they just look perfect. Now, there is one real one on here. And it's got some oddities in it. Some, you can tell, like, something, you know, some bumps and bruises and stuff like that. Because when you get close to real fruit, it doesn't look as pretty as the fake stuff. But you got to get close enough to see it. And we want to keep people at distances because we work so hard to get that thing looking pretty. But there's victory and vulnerability to show people, guess what? i got a lot of bumps and bruises, too. But there's... There's, there's, there's something real about this. And when you let them get close enough and take the very thing you've worked for to let God and let them sample it and pull them off the tree and let them begin to taste it. That's what the spirit is asking us to do. And all of those different fruits can be exemplified through love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all of those types of things. But it's in different situations in life where we have to check ourselves and say, which fruit am I growing? And then am I growing just fake, false stuff that just looks pretty from a distance? Or can I get down in the dirt with people? Can I go meet them where they're at just like Christ did? Can I go there and say, guess what? I'm okay to be a little vulnerable. Check this out. This is my fruit. It ain't all that pretty. But I can guarantee you through him, it'll taste good.
Now, Romans 11, it talks about being grafted in. So I studied up on grafting. This is where we'll wrap this part up. Grafting is a process in which they take a tree that is non-producing and turn it into a tree that will produce. Do you know how they do it? It's kind of crazy that people have been able to do this for centuries, you know, and like we have to do it with like computers and everything now, you know, but you can go get an old gardener and they can show you how to do this thing. But here's what they do is they say, this, this tree was producing and I need this one that's not producing. They take the root of the producing tree and they cut it in a specific fashion. And then they take the non-producing top. Now, not necessarily with the tree this large, it's much smaller than this. But then they take that piece and they wedge them together. And because the roots are good, it begins to bring forth produce. And this is called grafting together. And in Romans 11, and multiple others. I, I X'd out all those. If you want tons of them, I can give you tons of them, but I want to focus in on Romans 11. Romans 11 talks about how we are grafted in. And the branches that didn't produce fruit in our lives, if we allow the Spirit to lead, like it said, he says, I'll cut, cut those things off. It may not be pretty. It may not be all that nice. But he says, all the things that don't produce, I'll cut that off, and I'm going to graft you in to a root system that is sustainable, Amen. to a foundation that is sustainable. Now, whenever this happens, that part that didn't produce actually takes on the very structured, like even we found out later on and, you know, down the road, that the very DNA of that other tree, it actually takes on that. They've actually done this with cross-species type things where they've taken some that's not even the same species of plant and grafted it to that plant and it actually became a part of that plant lost all identity of itself, I hope you're hearing this in the spirit, and just gained the identity of the roots. This is why you must be planted by the rivers of living water. Jesus said it this way. He said, I'm the vine. That word vines there means the stump, the root. You're the branches. And anyone who's in me will produce this fruit. And he said, oh, follow my commandments. And everybody's like, oh, all the commandments. And he says, it's just right here. It's basically the fruit of the Spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. But love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, your body, soul, spirit, everything you've got. It's almost as if that what he's saying is you just need to know him and let that thing bring the fruit. I want to give you just one quick Example analogy of this. In Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, we see creation, we see Eden, we see these things. But in the garden, there were two trees. These are spiritual trees, they're not literal trees. It says the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It says to Adam and Eve, says, you can take, take of the tree of life all you want. You have as much of that fruit as you want. But this one over here, this is the thing that needs to be, the word is holy, set apart, separate, dedicated. So don't touch that one. You can take this one as much as you want. Now, once man chooses to no longer partake of this tree of life and to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what happens is not what you guys see where God's ticked off and he 
whips them and runs them out of the garden. And, you know, that's kind of the imagery we kind of get sometimes. The actual words, it says he led them out. He clothed them and he led them out. And he said, if man reaches right now for the tree of life now, if he does it right now, you can back me up on this in Genesis chapter 3. He says, if he does it right now, he'll stay in this condition He'll stay this tree that's not growing and producing the fruit, so I can't let him stay and take part of that yet. I've got to fix that. Now, how he did that was through the person of Christ, and I don't have time to go into all of that. But he says, this was the tree. This was the fruit. That's quite literally from Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. We see the fruit of the Spirit growing in life. And he says, that's what you can partake of. Take, take part in that. Be planted there. Stay around that. It says it was in the midst of the garden. To know him. Did you know that Adam and Eve walked and talked with God? It says that they walked with the voice of God in the cool of the day. They knew him. They were right there with him, partaking of the tree of life. Right there with him. But you notice that other tree that they weren't supposed to partake of had to do with knowledge as well. It was the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of God or the knowledge of good and evil. We see another scripture in Romans where it talks about being turned over to a reprobate mind. And if you read that whole text, what it means is God says, all right, it says that they had removed God from their knowledge. The word knowledge is where we get the word science from, just real quick. Just a little side note. It says they'd removed God from their knowledge, thus he turned them over. And the, word, and the, the, the understanding of the reprobate mind here is he turned them over to the thing they wanted most their own knowledge and understanding. When Christ came along, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He quite literally, God's, God's pretty cool. He quite literally said these things before the manner in which he died was literally on a tree. And we sing songs about it's flowing from his hands and from his side. What is the fruit of the Spirit. So when he went in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when we see the Last Supper in Matthew 26, when we see that and he's telling his disciples, he's saying, hey, this is my body. Eat. This is my blood. Drink. What he's trying to say is that very same tree of life from Genesis, the way to know God, the way you were there, that is eternal life. And I'm showing you the fruit of that, the produce of that to the nth degree that he could by literally sacrificing his life in that regard to say that this is eternal life to know him. And this way is made to know him, the one true God. And we have to take our lives and understand and allow it to be chopped and allow it to be put up and allow people to get close enough to begin to sample the fruit and say, yeah, it's a little bruised and, and broken. And yeah, I went through some things too. I, I, I was raised in church my whole life, but guess what? Uh, I ain't Jesus. I still screwed up a whole lot. But that, that's what I got. And when people, you may not want to eat that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> when people begin to sample it, they won't see the bumps and bruises of your life when it's done through the Spirit, remember, ye who are spiritual, don't get it twisted. You cannot remove the Spirit of God from this. But when they begin to sample it, guess what they will see? They won't see your bumps and bruises. All they'll see is the love of God. 
All they'll see is the spirit of God. And then they'll say, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and I want to be grafted in. And guess what? That tree of life just begins to grow more. And there's another scripture that says it this way. It says, so that the glory of God covers the earth. You were supposed to be an extension of the tree of life, bearing the fruit of the spirit of God all throughout life and saying, here, I can make another one. Don't worry about it. This is what Christ said and asked when he was doing the Last Supper, saying, take part of that. Sample my fruit and become that. 